This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Anif Baharudin and this is Gigi Well Played, the show that talks about all things video games. In this episode, we're going to be sharing our thoughts on Mass Effect 2 Legendary Edition. But before that, here's a look back at some of the biggest news in the world of gaming with Ali Johan and of Neil Ting. Thank you, Hanif. We're going to start this week's recap with a pretty serious story involving Activision Blizzard. Last week, the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing filed a lawsuit against the maker of a lot of big franchises in gaming, including Diablo, StarCraft and Overwatch, after years of investigation. The lawsuit revolves around violations of the state's civil rights and equal pay laws, specifically regarding the treatment of women and other marginalised groups. Yeah, the lawsuit can actually be accessed online if you want to read it. But according to a report by Bloomberg Law, the investigation has been going on for over two years. And the lawsuit focuses on what they deem to be an environment within Activision Blizzard that allows for a frat boy culture. The studio has also been called a breeding ground for harassment and discrimination against women. This report is pretty graphic, but some of the incidents that has happened at the company includes casual discrimination, up to sexual assault and harassment. It even resulted in one of the developers taking her own life following a trip with her supervisor. Oh man. The thing is, there were attempts at trying to bring up the matter to HR for any sort of resolution, especially from the upper management, and they proved to be difficult as the people working in HR were known to be close to most of the alleged harassers. And according to the lawsuit, as a result of these complaints, female employees were subjected to retaliation, including, but not limited to being deprived of work on projects, for example, unwillingly transferred to different units and also selected for layoffs. Uh, There's also the question of pay gap between male and female employees, as well as opportunities for career advancement and growth being given to men first over women. Activision Blizzard acknowledged the suit but was pretty defensive in their response, including accusing the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing of not being professional in their investigation. Ex-CEO and Blizzard co-founder Mike Morham meanwhile responded to the allegations in a more remorseful manner, including saying that he believes the victims and saying that I'm extremely sorry that I failed you. In response, a lot of former employees have come out to share their accounts of the various incidents that have happened, while some players of World of Warcraft have organised a sit-down protest in-game to voice their dissatisfaction towards the company. Not to mention the outrage in real life towards the company and uh, all the individuals involved, including Mike Morham, as he had perhaps enabled the situation during his time. Yeah, so this is still developing. We'll bring you more information when we have them. Moving on, the main event of EA Play Live also happened last week. There were multiple announcements made for games that have already been announced, including a very interesting mode for Battlefield 2042 called Battlefield Portal. Uh, This is a mode that allows you to create any type of game modes that you want using and combining assets from the previous Battlefield games. You know, it looks pretty cool actually. Other than that, they also announced the 10th season of Apex Legends called Emergence that will feature a new character called Seer. The new season is going to kick off early next month. Then there are also two new games announced, including Grid Legends, a racing simulator from Codemasters acquired by EA a few months ago. If it's grid legal, I can build it to win. Touring cars, muscle cars, open wheel, drift. 
The game will feature a very in-depth single-player story mode, including live-action segments. Then there's also another new IP from developer Zoink called Lost in Random. Once upon a time, there were two devoted sisters named Even and Ord. Cruelly separated by an evil queen. The action-adventure game looks like it was inspired by Tim Burton's films and it'll be out this September on PC and all consoles. Yes, and last but definitely not least, EA also finally teased out the long-rumoured revival of Dead Space. So this has been in the rumour mill for quite a while now, so to finally see it happening is great, uh, not only for Dead Space fans but also for newcomers who have never played the franchise. But as of now, no release date yet. But in an interview with IGN, the developers of the game have said that the game will be developed from the ground up using next-gen technology and it will also have no loading screens. Wow. Okay, moving on. Up next, the art director for Ubisoft's Assassin's Creed series will be leaving the company after 16 years. Rafael Lacoste announced his departure on Twitter and subsequently, he also announced his next destination. He'll be joining his former colleague from Ubisoft, Jade Raymond, at her new studio, Haven. Haven is currently working with PlayStation on a new IP. So Lacoste has been there since the beginning of the Assassin's Creed franchise. And since 2007, he has contributed to a lot of the game's development. Yep, uh, so this uh, becomes the latest employee to leave Ubisoft in recent months following the departure of Assassin's Creed's Valhalla's narrative director, Darby McDavid, and also game director, Eric Baptizat. Uh, lastly, a feel-good story if you're a fan of Japanese games and their soundtracks. If you've watched the opening ceremony of the Olympics last week, you probably have noticed the organiser using some familiar tunes. Yes, they did. Uh, they featured some tunes from a lot of games uh, from the land of the rising sun, including Victory Fanfare, the team from Final Fantasy, uh, you got Monster Hunters, Proof of Here, Kingdom Hearts, Olympus Coliseum, Sonic the Hedgehog's Starlight Zone, and many more including teams from games such as Dragon Quest, Monster Hunter, Chrono Trigger, Nair Soul Calibur, and much more. Uh, surprisingly, no tunes from Nintendo though. Uh, maybe they had some issues acquiring the rights to those tunes. But regardless, it was fun hearing uh, those tunes being used in a global event like the Olympics. Uh, the Japanese definitely know the value of their games to the international audience and they are not scared at all to promote them. Yeah, that's right. Kudos to Japan and, you know, the organizers of the Olympics. Really nice to see all these little uh, familiar tunes. Uh, you know, I, was also, I also heard that there were tunes from Winning Eleven or uh, Pro Evo Soccer as well. Wow. But I didn't catch that, yeah. Um, and also, you know, speaking of Olympics to our Malaysian contingent, good luck. Uh, that's all we can hope for. I uh, hope you come back safe. Gambate Malaysia. Gambate Malaysia. That's all we have for this week's recap. Back to you, Hanif. Thank you very much, Ali and Ofnil. We've been playing Mass Effect Legendary Edition since it was released two months ago and we've now completed the second game in the trilogy. So joining me to do this retro, not-so-retro review of the game are Kelvin Yee, a Mass Effect veteran, and Sabrina Yusuf. Let's start by talking about some improvements that we've seen from the game compared to the prequel. Honestly, I, I really couldn't tell that much of a difference from that first first release, right? Maybe save for like just a wee bit in terms of the combat. Obviously the visuals, but the visual changes aren't 
as massive or as noticeable as they are from the first game, which that one had like the most reworked, right? But the second game, not much. Maybe the cover system just improved a tiny bit compared to the first game. But I think the truth with this version still stands in that Mass Effect 2 is really such a good lesson in how you can upgrade and how you can do better in your sequel compared to your first game. Because the jump is always noticeable from Mass Effect 1 to Mass Effect 2. Uh, obviously, it's the combat that's much better. It's, but it's also like the um, some of the, the quality of life things that happen within the game, right? Your interactions with the characters, your interactions with just basically the world itself. I like the jump from the first game to the second game. You can tell that they made a lot of improvements. Uh, I like the fact that um, this is kind of weird because um, I like the fact that they will display the type of mission available at the galaxy map, right? Rather than uh, depending on you, you know, having to look through your journal to find out, okay, what's what's the next mission supposed to be and where you're supposed to go to, which is lacking in the first game. And I, for some reason, I think they sort of like took it out again in Mass Effect 3 for, for the smaller missions, the side missions. So it makes it a bit more difficult for you to, to find the places for the next mission because you have to manually then look at the your journal to find, oh, this thing is available in this particular system. And then you have to manually, okay, or you have to look for it yourself, discover it for yourself. Whereas in Mass Effect 2, this is, you know, the thing that they, they featured immediately, like, like not only for main missions, but also for side missions, I feel. Yeah, at least like in, in sorry, in like the third game, you would think you could access your journal right from the galaxy map, right? But you'd have to like exit and then open the pause menu and open your journal again and go to the same step. So that was, yeah, that was like new to me too, because I always wanted to kind of like, I had to Google, oh, which planet, which planet am I supposed to go to in which system, in which cluster? So like it would be, it was nice to see like already everything laid out on the map. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's, it's just made much simpler. And what do you guys think of the the pacing of the game? Did you like it? Oh, that's a good question. Um, pacing of the game, and I think I've, I've spoken to you about this. Uh, I feel like the pacing is slightly weird. Weird in the sense that I think because the main plot is there, but the plot also is kind of strange because it requires you to recruit a lot of members, right? So um, after you've recruited like certain members, then they'll sort of like uh, try to progress with the next aspect of the story. And then you're back to recruiting more members, right? And apparently, I, I don't know whether this is true, but apparently they say that the reason why it was done that way or the pacing was done in such a way was because at that time, uh, Mass Effect came in two days, right? Back then. So, so apparently that, that's why they separated the, the, you know, the first batch of the, your squad members and the second batch of your squad members. But I feel like it's, it's a bit weird that the story, while it has its main plot and they're trying to sort of like further the story, the manner in which they go about it is pretty kind of like, I wouldn't say slow, but it's just the fact that you spend half, like almost half of the game, 75% of the game to sort of like recruit members is is kind of, for me, makes it a bit weird. Because I, I kind of feel like, oh, okay, I've, I've spent 10 hours recruiting people. You know, when are they going to proceed with the, with the story, right? Um, but having said that, that's not to take away from the fact that the story is pretty interesting. The fact that you are recruiting people, um, the journey in you recruiting all these new members is in itself is kind of like fun. I get to know a lot of new characters and characters that are very, very interesting. So I, I don't fault them for that. It's just that if you look at it in totality, you kind of feel that the story, the pacing of the story feels a bit weird. Yeah. It, it was weird, but now that I think about it, it didn't seem like new to me because it, it's like, Breath of the Wild, sort of, where you can already see end game in front of you and where you need to go. But 
there's also these other things, other missions that you have to do to make your chances at that end game better. So I think just the way that it was laid out, in the sense that you can kind of pick and choose which one you want to do first. It did feel weird because I couldn't quite jump on like a like a typical linear storyline of okay now I'm now I'm meeting this person and then I get this person in my team and then I go on to the next um, kind of plot point. But I think it was part of what made the game fun for me is that it was really nice to have these separate loyalty missions and recruitment missions to know each of my squad mates better, know each of the characters better. Um, I think that in itself is a big part of the progression of the plot itself rather than little these these kind of side missions that, that are optional that you can do. I think that's part of what makes the game, I guess, really wholesome in that manner. Yeah, totally agree. Um, the pacing for me was actually pretty good in that it did focus on, for me, why the game is still so good. It is definitely understanding who your squad mates are, what shapes them, what forms their perspective. And I think in that, when you play the loyalty missions, you're kind of given a different perspective into like the different stakes within the universe um, of the Mass Effect uh, world. So when you go to a certain mission, after you finish it, like, oh, okay, so this is what this species of um, aliens care about. And then this is what this other person cares about. So you can kind of see like slowly it's sort of building towards the, the third game's theme, right? Which is we all need to come together to beat this thing. So in this game, it's kind of like a, a microcosm of that where you build a squad and then you inspire them enough and make sure that they are loyal to you enough so that you can get the ultimately the best ending within this game. And because you're able to do that, you're able to do that because you have such a good team. Though I must say that the game itself, um, when you play a shepherd with your squad mates, it really does feel like they're more so following shepherd around and they don't really have fun with each other. We don't really see squad mates interacting with each other as much, um, except in perhaps crucial and key moments, right? Where there are like disagreements or key identity disbeliefs with each other. We saw that when we do the loyalty missions for Jack and Miranda, they both will fight. Touch me and I will smear the world with you. Enough, stand down, both of you. And the same thing later with Legion and Tally as well, where, oh, you know, you go or I go. You can't let this happen, Shepard. I trusted you, and I worked with a get on the team, but this is too much. And that's where, you know, your effort in investing in like, the kind of character you are as well, that kind of depends, and you are able to, to sort of like build a bridge between the two, say, okay, I know you guys have your struggles, but yo, chill, we got like this big thing to fight. So let's fight that thing first, and then like figure that out. Maybe you can fight and throw hands at each other later. But it's only those two, like, that really stand out to me. But aside from that, your crewmates don't really feel like they're friends with each other. You are like their boss and you're leading them, although like they're all loyal to you, you know? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I kind of felt that too, especially coming from like the third game where it's mostly people like your day one squad mates. Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of already have a history with them. And then as you go through the Normandy after each mission, there's always something like new they have to say to you. So in the second uh, game, I mean, it's really like, I love that there's so many more new characters for me to discover, but also then it feels like there's no kind of that, that same close kinship that you would have with your day one squad mates, for example. Yeah. Right. And I think the thing about Mass Effect, I think having played 
almost you know all three games I haven't finished the third game yet is that they never signpost anything um, they never tell you you know if you choose A or B it will lead to they will never give you any warning as to as to like oh this is the potential repercussion of what will happen if you choose this decision uh, everything is just seamless and fluid which means that you have to find out by yourself what will happen if you choose uh, decision A versus decision B right uh, and I think uh, um, these days we have YouTube so it's easier for us to like oh okay I want to just you know, YouTube and see what happens uh, if I choose B rather than A whereas I think back then people will actually literally play the game multiple times to find out you know oh what well, uh, I'm going to do a renegade path or I'm going to I'm going to try and you know choose this decision and see what's going to happen uh in the next game uh, so I find that that also pretty interesting um like what what's your play style right, when it comes to these games um, do you stick to like a very strict like paragon option or do you sometimes go renegade based on you know your instinct or like everything is just fluid based on the situation you know what's your play style like I think I I noticed that when I play in a lot of these like RPG games, I always have a certain kind of like code that I want my character to adhere to. And if there's something in the game that goes against that, and then but it's something that I have to do, I'd be like, ah, oh, that's gonna affect me personally because that's not the path that I wanted you to take. So the fact that, um, like when you mentioned, there's no really signposting when it comes to the consequences of the decisions that you make in the game. More often than not, I find myself having too much um, playing through the mission, not liking what happened, and then be like, ah, that's so against what I have in mind for my character. So I'm going to like restart the mission and then make sure that I get the right points and uh, make sure I get the ending that I want. Um, so that, it's fun, but it's also kind of like frustrating at times, especially having to do such things over again and wanting to kind of get the best outcome possible because especially once especially once you already have gone through all these missions with this squad mates you're already invested in them you care for them a lot they're basically your friends too and then at the end you're like oh wait so that decision I made a few missions ago resulted with this and that kind of like screwed me up a little bit because oh no I, I of course I don't want to lose that person or I don't want this to happen to that person but yeah, I think that's kind of like the, the beauty of it, I guess, um, is that you, it's so, it's so a part of, the decisions you make are so part of the world that's been laid out for you. And you kind of have to make sure that, you know, deliberate your decisions very well. Although, like having played the third one, um, you kind of already know that, okay, the top option is always going to be Paragon, the bottom option is always going to be Renegade, so you're going to know what choices you need to make anyway. But yeah, I think I think the fact that there's so many of these characters and they all have their own kind of like pathways of their story and you have a say in that is overwhelming but also very fun at times. What about you, Kel? You know, I know I know you're you're a strict Paragon player, but like how how do you usually approach these games? Like are you very like strict when it comes to like totally 100% Paragon even when it comes to moments where you feel like a renegade option is suitable? Like for me, the council dealing with the council I purposely go renegade because I know that you know, they're <laughs> they're not like they're just annoying that way lah. That I I like you know what I I'm doing a paragon playthrough quote unquote, but I don't mind going renegade with the council. I mean, first of all, a question: How dare you call me out for being a goody two shoes, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
or going through the Paragon path consistently. I mean, I can't deny it because that, that is how I do approach the game. Honestly, same. I keep like wanting to do another playthrough. You know what? I'm going to do Renegade this time, but I just keep like, ah, I don't have the heart. I'm just going to, no, yes. I can't do it. <laughs> yes, it's the same for me. And I'll make the same options over and over and over again. I cannot find the heart in me to pick the red option. That is challenging. But I, I must say, I think there is um, a particular issue there, right? Because Mass Effect 2 is known for this issue in that the morality scale is a bit too restrictive. You find yourself having to make decisions and not be able to say certain things because you've aligned a certain way for so long. And that to me is a problem because it lacks and it doesn't give Shepard the nuance he deserves, right? Because if let's say Shepard is meant to be this character that uh, you self-insert yourself into, that limits what your character can do. Because even in some of the options, you're like, okay, maybe I want to pick the renegade option, but oh, I don't have enough points. Shoot, you know, I, I, I can't pick that option. And my shepherd loses out in a sense because I cannot have them be a more diverse, a more complex, holistic character, right? And reacting to different things. And honestly, sometimes the paragon choice is the wrong choice, right? Like if we think about the option in the Geth, uh, mission, for example, in Legion's loyalty mission, you have the option to either save this group of heretics, which uh, this this population that wants to align themselves with the Reapers, and you rewrite and brainwash them, uh, rewrite their, their memories, their DNA, essentially, and, and brainwash them. And the other renegade bottom option is the one where you destroy them. And later you find out that destroying them was actually the good choice. And to me, like morally, it doesn't make sense for me to want to rewrite them because if you see these group of AI um, species as sentient beings, you wouldn't try to rewrite a, the human race memory, for example, right? That, that's not something my character would want to do. And I think that, that that's the struggle that you're like, oh, okay, I'm not making the right choice now. And then what happens if you consistently pick the Paragon options? You end up flirting with characters that you don't want to flirt with. Um, oh my god, I, yes! <laughs> yeah, I have never wanted to initiate romance with any of the characters in Mass Effect 2. But somehow, if you pick the romance option thinking that it's the friendly option, you end up and thinking you get the Paragon points because you do. You get Paragon points for being flirtatious or whatever. And... You can't be friends with them because you start like a romance route with them accidentally. This happens with Miranda. This happens with Jack. This ha could ha even happen with Tali, right? Like, yeah, it's really weird. Like, I, I always, I'm always just like, you guys have that in the dialogue wheel, right? There's so much space for you to put like a heart icon or something, some kind of indication. You know, yes. I don't want to suddenly like flirt with this person, and it doesn't help that the way that. Shepard just changes in in their whole manner when these when they start flirting. Like that's what you know. That's not how you start at all. It's like you're trying to play a different character. So it's really funny too. Like the whole romance thing that that that's there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like Shepard will suddenly be like, you know, to Miranda, who you want to just say, I want to see you smile more from a friendly perspective. No, you're saying from a romantic perspective. No, I want Miranda to be my friend. I want my friends to smile. You know, and. Then there comes a problem of this game perhaps not having enough diversity in terms of writers. Um, this game is written from a very white, straight male perspective where every single woman on the team is like, uh, on your squad is like flirtable. Kelly Chambers is written in a way that like disgusts me because it's like, yeah, she's just meant to be like some flirt bot. Like she's a safe dating option that she's always there for you and she won't interrupt your other romances. 
Uh, and the same thing in terms of diversity, that comes into the picture again when they write Jacob and the way they structure his loyalty story in that, oh, a black man with daddy issues. I'm like, oh my God, this trope has been done to death, you know. Granted, um, that that hasn't lived very well because the game did come out in 2010. But, you know, I, I consistently and I firmly believe if you are doing a series in the future, if you're doing a series about space, the universe, about meeting different species 100 years into the future, these things, sexism, racism, homophobia, whatever, those should more or less be dealt with already. We've got bigger things to deal with. That was Kelvin Yee and he's joined by Sabrina Yusuf and together we've been sharing our thoughts on Mass Effect 2 Legendary Edition. Let's go for a short break. Stay tuned. This is Gigi Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Gigi Well Played. I'm your host, Hanif Baharudin. We're talking about Mass Effect 2 Legendary Edition in this episode and joining me, a rookie in the franchise, are my squadmates, Kelvin Yee and Sabrina Yusof. After saving the Citadel from Sovereign's invasion led by rogue CSAC agent Saren in the first game, Shepard was put in a very interesting position of working for Sebris, a rogue organization with a very questionable reputation and methods in the second game. It was an interesting choice in terms of expanding the plot and the lore of the game and we discussed how that affected the story of Mass Effect 2. I think what struck me, at least like in the first few moments of the game with the whole Cerberus thing, it, it felt funny how easily the elusive man kind of gives Shepard free reign over his property. Like, you know, you, as long as you do this thing, I don't care what you do with all this super cool fancy stuff. I, I didn't think that was like that kind of, I, I think that moral alignment or conflict wasn't really kind of addressed. It was uh, outside of like, the little interactions that you have with the loser man himself where I think he's the only person where I could actually choose the renegade option and be fine with it, you know, in the conversation. But it's also nice to see um, along the way as you progress with the story and you pick up all these characters and you're reaching the end of the game, even, like, your squad mates are also kind of, like, turning away from service itself, like, even, even like, the, the whole... the ship itself, basically. I think that was a nice little thing... To have it felt, it felt a lot more genuine to be able to connect to the characters in that way. They are kind of aligning themselves with the Shepherd. They've gone through all these loyalty missions. They are indebted to each other. Cerberus is just this thing of the past that they just, or tool that, that they just have to use at the end. And even at the end, like, probably like big spoilers, I don't know. Uh, Miranda just kind of like shuts up, loses a man and just hangs up on him. And it's like, ah, yeah, you're my girl, you know? That's like, I had that <laughs> moment. Like, yeah, girl, it was like, it was really nice to kind of have all this, all these moments in, 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 in these missions kind of lead up to that point. At least in just regards to this, uh, to, to this Cerberus kind of alignment in the second game. And it yeah. was orange too. I think that was like, huh, that's, I guess that's cool. Even like the UI and stuff. <laughs> like the little detail. Yeah, and I think the elusive man is actually such a well-written antagonist. You know his moral code, you know what he's doing, the, the thing he's doing. And for, for a while, it's kind of like both him and Shepard actually have the same goal, right? Which is to sort of uh, save humanity. But Shepard's one is more like everyone must be involved in this. Whereas the elusive man is like, no, the humans must become the most dominant force in the universe so that then we can help everyone else. Something like that. And I think the pacing of his like 
Dr. Evil kind of uh, revelation was also quite well done because in, in the game, when you talk to him, he's like, okay, sure, Shepard, I disagree with your actions and I would have done it this way instead, but I see what you're doing. And, and then he'll be like, oh, this is the loss of experience from not doing it like this, blah, blah, blah. And that, that is consistent. And then you find that perhaps morally, he's also a bit of a complicated character. And in some missions, he's like, you find out that, oh, there were some of Cerberus's initiatives or experiments that he wanted to shut down. That's what it says on the surface when you read like the data pads and stuff. And then later you find out that actually, no, like he would have wanted to continue all these horrible experiments that they were doing. You know, you see that happening in uh, Overlord, for example, where, oh, you know, you can choose to like pass, I forgot the guy's name, David. I think you can pass David. Yeah, you can pass David over to Cerberus, right? And then the guy will be like, don't worry, uh, David will be well taken care of, blah, blah, blah. But then it turns out that if you pass David over to Cerberus, that uh, he will get tortured even more. And the ultimate reveal, I think, must be in the final mission where you finish and you have to decide whether you save or you destroy the collective base, right? And there you can see, like, he totally cracks, right? He's no longer this, like, cool-headed CEO, evil uh, CEO, like, okay, maybe he can make sense of like what's going on. He just cracks a bit that he's like, no, Shepard, don't destroy the base. You can use it. We can use it. And then Shepard's like, nope, bye. We're, we're, we're going to destroy it. And the guy's like, you're making a mistake. And then that's also where, you know, Miranda, as, as you said, Serena, that she would shut down and then resign on the spot from Cerberus, right? So I think that arc for, for the elusive man was, was really good because like you can see, ah, okay. So he is a villain, but one that is so complex. He's not just some sort of like bad guy written same like the supernatural universe. Oh, I want to destroy all humans. Why? I have no idea. I'm just evil man. And when you defeat this evil, so, oh, my great uncle is the bigger villain. You have to go and defeat him instead. No, like the elusive man remains a villain in all three games uh, and, and so does Cerberus. Yeah. He was never repulsive. Like, like you're right. I think he was so well written that, that you don't necessarily immediately identify him as evil. And he's not the Dr. Evil kind, you know. Oh, I'm evil. I want to take over the world kind of thing. He, he, has, he has his reasons and reasons that you can somehow perhaps, you know, understand but not necessarily agree with. In fact, I always enjoy, quote-unquote, you know, interacting with him as much as I disagree with his methods because he doesn't come across as repulsive and like, you know, totally like, oh, you know, world domination or universe domination kind of evil, right? Which is pretty, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, and speaking of Overlord mission, yeah, some of the DLCs are also very well written. Like, I think the Overlord DLC is definitely one of the more memorable ones. Arrival DLC was also quite good. It's just that for me, considering that this is my first time playing the game, I didn't know like which missions are DLC missions and how I found out about whether they're DLC missions or not uh, is based on like the length of the mission. Suddenly when it gets a bit longer, then you kind of sort of like, oh, this is probably like a DLC mission. But I wish some of the DLC missions were written for the game like directly. But, you know, regardless, you know, playing the Legendary Edition means that, you know, they're already part of the game anyway. So it's just, it fits into the, the story of the game seamlessly. Like, except for Arrival DLC, which I think if you really want a good experience playing the game to lead up to ME3, Mass Effect 3, you need to perhaps play the Arrival DLC after you finish the, the main mission, right? I think so. I think um, somewhere between the end of the game or like right before you start the last couple of missions of the game, um, I made the mistake of, I guess it's not really a mistake, but for me, I was like, I played it kind of early on, not, not knowing like that it was a DLC. 
and being suspiciously like, oh, why is this taking so long? Like, when is this, when is this one going to end? I mean, it's fun and all, but like, I'm tired. So it, was, it kept going on. I was like, okay, I guess this is one of those DLCs. But it was also like, I didn't know that the in, in plot-wise, it was supposed to kind of lead up to the start of ME3. And that kind of like, I guess broke a bit of the story immersion for me a little bit because it's, it, it is a bit out of place if you play it in the middle of, of playing through the whole game. Uh, and it was kind of like a big, it felt like a big deal. So if you play it in the middle of the game and spoilers, you destroy a whole solar system and then go on with your day that's kind of funny you know that's, that's a little <laughs> weird so it's, and I guess that I guess that was the reason why I guess Shabba ended up in jail or something I don't know but um, I wish they would have somehow like kind of uh, made it available a little bit later because it was kind of like available to you quite early on in the game if I remember correctly so that kind of that was a, that was kind of like a weird thing but everything else was really kind of like like the other DLCs I think they would really kind of seamlessly uh, placed in the game. It, it kind of works at the companion quest as well. You can just do them um, as they come and then they kind of have their own little bubble uh, that you play around in the story. They're kind of well thought. It brings you all across all these other parts of the game and they're always kind of like different every time. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed playing all the DLCs in there. I think it's like such a great... Um, addition to the rest of the game because just because it, it gives you it th- just throws you random playstyle sometimes suddenly you're in a car chase or you're in a whole different setting it's not just like a planet but it's like a it's 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 a city or maybe it's like something else so it was it was really it was really fun like the ilium um Shatterburger dlc it was fun i think it really kind of like diversified my experience with the game ah oh, it's just it's great <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, the it, it definitely would make sense if, let's say, they just put like a simple marker that this is a DLC. Literally just say like DLC, bracket DLC, and then they can sort of brief the mission. I really did also wish that Arrival did come or like Hackett briefed you like much later, right? Like perhaps, like I know some games, what they do is that um, some of the DLCs are really only available to you after you finish like the final mission. Oh, you know, now you have a chance to still roam around the galaxy you still have this one other additional extra mission that you can do that you, you should think about finishing. Because you're right, Arrival is crucial to the start of the third game. You you start the third game at that point, finishing that mission, and then you are then trialed and I think put under house arrest after that. So yeah, definitely. And totally agree. The, the DLCs are super fun. Uh, I think Shadow Broker especially shows the humorous capabilities in in uh, BioWare's writing there, right? That like they can actually like, you know, be quite good at the humor. It's it's not like overdone. And yeah, so you have this character that's kind of there in all three games, even though at, at first, you know, some of your old squad mates are like, yeah, I'm kind of too busy doing my own thing right now. So maybe you find someone else. But then she becomes, Liara becomes important again, more important again in the third game. Though I think what happens in, in the third game, if let's say, and, and jumping back to Arrival, for example, if you don't play the DLC, I think what happens is that you don't trigger the destruction. I think one of the Alliance ships actually triggers the destruction and you are then put under house arrest, I think, for working with Cerberus, if I'm not wrong. 
Wow, okay. That that's if that's true, that's pretty interesting. And again, another thing that you learn. That somehow makes more sense than yeah. That somehow makes a lot more sense. It feels like arrival kind of even more feels out of place now. Okay, of course he's gonna be under house arrest because of Cerberus. Cerberus is a terrorist organization, right? But of course he had to go and destroy a whole solar system. But you know, that's Commander Shepard. Yeah. Um, okay, so I, I'm just going to touch a bit on the gameplay and how how much better it is from the first game. Uh, considering that I think uh, in the previous uh, impression or review that we did for Mass Effect 1, I think I sort of like complained about how stilted the combat is. I think they definitely improve it a lot in the second game. It feels a bit more fluid. And I by the second game, I already understand the gameplay a, a lot more. So it means that you know utilizing my squad is not really a problem. And I guess my personal preference, I suppose, I didn't think you know playing as a soldier is... is the best way to really experience the full potential of the combat of the game. Um, I changed my my character from being a, a soldier to a sentinel, and I think that that improves the I guess the fun aspect of the game uh, massively. Uh, being able to use your powers and also you know having a better understanding of 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 your your squad mates as well, right? And, you know, trying to find the right combination when it comes to tackling certain enemies, you know, which character you should bring because of their abilities and whatnot. And that's pretty interesting. And then, obviously, that um, in terms of even the law, the game puts a lot more um, uh, information in, for, for you to digest. Uh, you know, things look a bit more elegant presentation-wise. You don't have to you know, go to every planet and write the Mako. But you do, you do have to do a lot of like those scanning, planet scanning thing, which can be a bit tedious here and there, but still, I sometimes find myself doing that just to uh, wind down a bit. Um, so yeah, Mass Effect 2 is definitely like, it's, it's a massive improvement over the first game. But um, be- before I wrap it up, I just want to ask the two of you because you both have played all the games now, right? Um, why is Mass Effect 2 considered uh, you know the best in the trilogy. I think I think that's a safe statement, right? If I'm not mistaken, you know, based on the perception that I've gathered from you know a lot of people, they always said that Mass Effect Two is the quote unquote the best one in the trilogy. And I I haven't finished Mass Effect Three yet, but yeah, just to just to gauge your I guess perception, your 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 opinion on on this statement, like you know um from your perspective, why do you think that you know is the best out of the trilogy? If if you do agree that it's the best, lah. Um. Okay. So. My first introduction to, I guess, the whole franchise was the third game. So playing, um, playing again, number one and two, number two especially, it was nice. It didn't feel too kind of like weird if, if, cause I treated it kind of like a prequel and it was really fun in that sense. Like, okay, I know some of these characters already, but now I know a little bit more of, you know, where they came from or the history that they have with, with Shepard. But I remember when the third one came out, a lot of people were kind of like not happy about it. And I was the minority who was like, oh, what are you talking about? It's a great game, you know? <laughs> like it's Because it, I started playing it, I, w- I completely kind of just immediately uh, fell in love with it. Um, it was kind of like also like a new sort of genre for me, like a sci-fi RPG type thing, um, or at least a new genre of that scale. I guess. So I immediately kind of enjoyed it. I couldn't get why people were so like disappointed about it. I, it was, uh, it was weird to me. It was like, it was already such a, uh, I love the story, I love the gameplay and everything. So now that I've played the second game, it's, it's starting to make sense because it feels like the second game kind of set the bar, um, for the story at least quite up there. It's very like, everything is, fleshed out very well, uh, I feel, and, you know, all the characters have its own 
they are all, I guess, main characters in their own right in the way that they, they have these really compelling stories. So I still don't get why people are disappointed with the third one, but I kind of get it a little bit now because number two was really, um, it felt like a different game. It felt like a whole different experience from the third one just because there's so many new things for me, but also because there's also all these other layers in uh, each mission and the characters and also the, the gameplay as well. Yeah, I know Kelvin has the answer to why people hate Mass Effect 3, but I think, Kel, uh, right now, let's just focus on Mass Effect 2 first. Like, you can hear it, but I think because I really want to, like, do another review of Mass Effect 3 where I will let you lose, Kelvin. Don't worry about that. So, yeah, Kel, please. Again, calling me out. <laughs> Always putting me on this platform to attack me. Um, yeah, so second game, to me, it is actually the best game. Uh, out of the three, simply because the writing is so tight and everything has its intentions. There are no weird and sudden surprises for you. And this is in comparison to the third game. Granted that my first experience with Mass Effect was in the third game, uh, similarly to Sabrina. I was also very disappointed when I played the third game for the first time. And I didn't get it in a way that other people who have played one and two at first, but then when I, you know, back in the first releases, when I played one and then uh, half, maybe quarter of two, I was like, okay, well, yeah, disappointment, totally validated, right? But just going back to, to Mass Effect 2, I think everything sort of ties in nicely. You're, you're clear about what your mission is from the first game. How you get there is totally up to you. You can choose whether you want the best outcome or whether you want to speed through the game, right? Which is just getting all your squad members and not doing their loyalty mission and then just go ahead and, and do the final mission because you care about stopping the final mission the most and that's your choice. But if, let's say, you perhaps want a different outcome, you can also, again, shape that. Maybe you just don't like certain characters and then you can also shape them, have them die at the last mission or like abandon one or two of them here and there or just never use them at all. Like you could totally leave um, Grunt and Legion in sleep mode forever and not deal with them, you know. So those, those things are, are within your hands. And again, now I think Mass Effect 2 just greatly benefits from the fact that it's such a big, impressive leap from the first game. Combat immediately changed. The dialogue reel is a bit better. The interactions that you have with the characters are so much better. Also, Jennifer Hale's performance has always been fantastic. But if you play a male shepherd voiced by Mark Mir, you're also going to hear improvements in his voice acting throughout the series. His voice acting is the best in the third one. Uh, second one's improving. The first one, Shepard was still a bit stiff and he sort of says like different things in like the same tone and expresses different emotions in the same tone. Second game, uh, again, he's improved. And of course, you still have characters that you very much care about within the second game. And the DLCs are fantastic. So I think between the first and the third game, in terms of like, Maybe the first game you would think about introducing to, to someone might be Mass Effect 2, you know, if you want them to get into this series, right? What also greatly helps is the fact that there is the Mass Effect Genesis coming from Mass Effect 1 to Mass Effect 2, which was built for PS3 players at first because Mass Effect 1 didn't quite make it to the PS3. And then they had to sort of do something for players who were playing that on the PS3 for the first time, saying that, okay, some of these dishes are crucial. So we're going to turn that into an interactive comic for you to play and learn along. And then you can also sort of make crucial choices your way and then have that transfer to Mass Effect 2 without completely playing Mass Effect 1. The same thing is true of this version of Mass Effect uh, in the Legendary 
edition where you can use that comic if you want to totally skip the first game's experience. And uh, I totally understand that people can't play one. I, I struck up with one, and then I just like sort of moved through to two. But yeah, first introduction for people who want to get into a series, definitely two. And if you want to, on, and honestly, play the game in however order you want. You can play three, one, two, two, one, three. Totally up to you. But yeah, I, I'd say, I would say out of the, the, the trilogy, two would be the best pick out of the three. You've been tuning in to GG World Played and we've been sharing our thoughts on Mass Effect 2 Legendary Edition, the second game in the highly respected sci-fi trilogy. Thanks, Kelvin and Sabrina, for joining me on the show. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, you can find the podcast on bfm.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play and also Spotify. Do share your thoughts about the show or the games that you play via our email, ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and stay safe. Till next time, GG Well Played. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.